Our guest today, I first met him when he was a freshman at Baylor. He came all the way from Spartanburg, South Carolina, enrolled in Baylor, and he and my son Ben became close friends for four years. He would come home sometimes with Ben, and, and I just watched him through those years. He finished Baylor, went to law school, the University of South Carolina, married Terry, his wife. They have two children, Abigail and Watson. Both of them, unfortunately, are attorneys like their dad. <laughs> but you can't tell how your children are going to turn out, can you, when you do the best you can. Trey was a federal prosecutor for many years in South Carolina and never lost a case. That's something. And then he ran for the Congress. He served eight years in the House of Representatives, and that's where all of America, all the world got to know him. He has the unusual ability to get to the bottom line, you know. A lot of people circle the field for about days or weeks or a lifetime and never get to the bottom line. Trey gets there zip like that because his life is based on truth. And he practices the truth and speaks the truth. And therefore, he's been in this pulpit many times. He was chairman of many committees as he served in the House. But I will share this with you. It's something he would never tell you, but I will. He was chairman of the Ethics Committee in the U.S. House of Representatives. Now, all the time that he's been here, he's spoken to him many times, right? Some of you know that. He never would let him others pay any expenses, which is legal, any honorarium, anything. He came here all of these times absolutely would not take a penny. And I said, Trey, why in the world? It's legal. I mean, you've come here to speak, and, and, and you speak all over the country. He said, I never take a penny from anywhere I go, expensive, anywhere I speak. And I say, that's strange. And by the way, the years he's in the House of Representatives, his, his home was his office. He never had a place to stay. His home was his office. And I said, he said, as chairman of the Ethics Committee, he said, all of these elected congressmen, they do a lot of spinning around as they got this money and that fund and that gift and that gift. He said, when I put in my report, I put in a zero how much extra money I've made while in the House. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what you call that. I call it integrity and a man who lives out and bases his life on the truth of the gospel and on true truth as he represented us in America. Welcome, Trey Gowdy. <laughs> Embarrassed. <you. laughs> Thank you very much. I can tell you what my wife called my no-gift policy, stupid. <laughs> you know, the last thing Dr. Young said to me before he walked up here was your home. Uh, home is such a beautiful 
word, uh, and he's right. It is hard for me to believe that it was over 30 years ago that I first came to this church when Ben and I were at Baylor. And this church, and by the way, I told Dr. Young this last night, y'all would be amazed at the number of people in my home state of South Carolina that follow your services and follow your church online or on television. But this has always felt like home to me, and the Young family has always been so good to me, and they've held me accountable. And you'll get, you know, when I was in Congress, I'd get periodic phone calls from Dr. Young uh, helping me understand issues that I thought I understood before he called, but, <laughs> but I didn't understand them. So thank you, Dr. Young, and thank you all for welcoming me to what really does feel like, like home. Our country is going through a really challenging time period from a health standpoint, from, from an economic standpoint, uh, from a racial justice, um, justice system standpoint, I just want you to know we're going to make it through it. We've been through tough times before as a people. And my hope, my hope, my fervent hope is that not only do we make it through it, but we make it through it more unified. And we're perfecting this union. I mean, democracy is a state of perfection. We are constantly trying to make it better. And it is my fervent hope that we do emerge on the other side of these challenges, a more unified, better people. When you're home, you get to act like you're home and you get to talk about things you ordinarily wouldn't talk about out in public. Uh, and this is no exception. I, there's something I want us to talk about this morning, but before we get to that, I want to share something that happened to me. Several months ago, I think it was Dr. Young, our country seemed like it was on the verge of war with either Denmark or Norway or Sweden or someone. Do you all remember that? Some fight over Greenland and we, there was this, and I was nervous. I wasn't in Congress anymore, but I was really nervous. You see these news accounts about, about us having difficulties with Norway and Iceland and Denmark, and I was nervous. I was primarily nervous that someone would ask me to find one of those three countries on a map because I couldn't do it. And I was also nervous because I was powerless to do anything about it. Not in the house anymore, just a regular old lawyer in the upstate of South Carolina. And Lord has a sense of humor and he sent me a dream that included some of my former colleagues. And look, if I didn't feel like I was at home, I wouldn't share this dream, but I do feel like I'm at home, so I will. In my dream, which the Lord sent me and included three of my former colleagues, John Boehner, Marco Rubio, and Lindsey Graham, were taking a hot yoga class at a strip mall in Georgia. Good luck getting that image out of your mind. <laughs> but this is my dream. I'm a lawyer. You can trust me. So they're taking a hot yoga class and it's struck by lightning and tragically all three of them die and go to heaven, which could happen. <laughs> Two of them for sure, but in my dream, all three of them went and they were met by St. Peter and St. Peter said, look, you're big shots on earth, but this is heaven and we have rules and you're going to follow the rules or there are going to be consequences. Well, John Boehner was the first one to violate the rules of heaven, 
He broke into a CVS and stole some cigarettes and some self-tanning lotion. And in my dream, he is confined to this prison cell and forced to watch, uninterrupted for all of eternity, with no commercial breaks, the Hallmark Channel. And in a voice as loud as thunder, I hear, John Boehner, you violated the rules of heaven, and this is your punishment for all of eternity. And then I see Marco Rubio, and Marco violated the rules of heaven. He broke into Mary Magdalene's apartment and stole those high heel boots he wore when he was running for president. And then on his way out of the apartment, steals a case of San Pellegrino's sparkling water in case he's ever asked to give a response to the State of the Union again. Come on now, y'all remember that? Y'all remember that sip of water he took on national television? He may have forgotten it, but God has not forgotten it, and neither have I. But in any event, he's caught and he's chained to Roseanne Barr with a five-foot-long chain. And I hear in a voice as loud as thunder, Marco Rubio, you have violated the rules of heaven, and this is your punishment for all of eternity. And this is where I get emotional. Because whether you like Lindsay or not, it's not important. He's been a friend of mine for 25 years. Since I was a district attorney, Lindsay's been a friend. And he will frequently come over on Sundays and play golf with my son and me. Now, it is after church for my son and me. I have no idea whether it is after church for Lindsay or not. My suspicion is that Lindsay has been a lifetime member of Bedside Baptist with the Reverend E.Z. Pillow, but I do not know that for sure. In any event, he's a friend, and I get emotional as I reflect upon the fact that I see him in my dream, and he is chained to the former supermodel, Cindy Crawford, with a three-foot-long chain, and I hear in a voice as loud as thunder, Cindy Crawford, you have violated the rules of heaven. <laughs> So for those of you who have asked me, will I ever be a federal judge, Lindsay is the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, so the answer to that as of about 30 seconds ago will be no. That will not happen. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator, with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In less than a week, our country will celebrate our day of independence, the day that we pronounced ourselves an experiment in self-governance, July 4th, 1776. It's the day we declared our independence. And I want you to have a great July 4th. I want you to have a great Independence Day, and I want you to celebrate what our country has been, what it is, what it can be, more importantly, as we seek to perfect this union. But I don't want to talk to you about that Independence Day. I want to talk to you about another Independence Day. I want to talk to you about your Independence Day. 
and whether you've had one and whether you want one and what you've done with it. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, those are the three seminal words. That's the phrase that most of us, and it's okay. Some people may think that's in the Constitution. It's in the Declaration of Independence. It would have been wonderful had we codified that into the Constitution, but we did not. That is the phrase from our Declaration of Independence. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And what I want us to do for the next couple of minutes is apply that to ourselves and ask ourselves, have we had our own day of independence? And how do those words apply to us? Not to anyone else, not to us corporately as a country, but to us as individuals. Life. Makes sense that you would begin with life. Everything else springs from life. Life is one of those words we use from time to time, but I wonder how often we have stopped and thought, what does that word mean? In its fulsomeness, in its wholeness, what does the word life mean? Sure, there's a biological component, but it's got to be more than that. I learned a lot about life in the job that Dr. Young referenced. Being a prosecutor, particularly a homicide prosecutor, surrounded by death, teaches you a lot about life. Death is, the, is perhaps the most life-affirming thing you can be surrounded by. Because as a prosecutor, I figured out there is no retreat from death. There is no bargaining with death. There is no compromising with death. Whatever the last thing you said to the person you love the most is going to have to suffice for all of time. Whatever you wanted to do in life but never had the chance to do or never got around to doing, you're never going to do. There is a finality about death, which means there has to be a primacy, a fundamentality about life. It is that thing from which all else flows. Life. The most life-affirming case I handled as the district attorney was the murder of a 10-year-old who could not walk. She could not talk. She could not feed herself. She was confined to a wheelchair for the entirety of her short, precious life. 
That is not an existence any of us would choose for ourselves. It is not an existence that we would choose for those we care about, but that was her existence. That was the way she was made. That was her life. Couldn't walk, couldn't talk, couldn't feed herself was completely and totally reliant upon others. If you ever visited my office in Washington, you would see a picture of my family on my desk. And my beautiful wife, and she is beautiful, and our two children that are thankfully healthy. And then the picture right beside that one the only other picture on my desk was of that 10-year-old in her wheelchair with the most radiant, beautiful smile. And prosecuting her murder helped me understand just how fundamental and primary life is that she could smile her way through an existence that we wouldn't choose for anyone we cared about. But that was her life. And it was my job to assign the same value and the same worth to her life as I would my own children. So I kept that reminder of how she used the gift of her life to remind me to ask myself, what are you doing with yours? Life is more than just some esoteric concept. It's been discussed. I mean, it's discussed in the Constitution. The due process clause, you cannot be deprived life without due process. It's discussed in Scripture. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Dr. Ben Young and I like to dabble in philosophy from time to time. We both, fans may not be the right word, we enjoy reading a philosopher named Albert Camus, who, by the way, spent most of his career trying to figure out whether life was worth it or not. He was an absurdist. He really struggled debating whether life was meaningful enough to pursue, but even Camus concluded. Let me paraphrase him. This is what he concluded. Even in the middle of winter, I find within me an invincible summer. Dostoevsky, who is my favorite author, if you've read Crime and Punishment or The Brothers Karamazov, Dostoevsky tells the story of this man confined to a cast iron chair with void and nothingness on either side of him, to his left, to his right, in front of him and behind him. He is just, just, Picture the image of this this person confined to a cast iron chair with nothingness 
surrounding you. And Dostoevsky would argue it is better to, to live a thousand years like that and begin it all again than to not have life. But it's more than just a concept by a Russian author or an existential philosopher. I want you to bring it to a more particularized level, to a more granular level. What have you done with your life? If you acknowledge that it is a gift, what have you done with this gift? What do you hope to do with the time that you have left? What will your legacy be? And you may say, well, that's a big word, Trey. I mean, I'm not going to necessarily leave a legacy. I'm not a famous Russian author or a philosopher. Yes, you will. You will leave a legacy whether you want to or not. What will it be? Life. The way I view life is I have been given a canvas. God gave me a canvas. And there are paints that I have at my disposal. And sure, I can lament the fact that he didn't give me the paint of being able to sing. Or any other talent for that matter. I can lament that fact or I can be thankful that he gave me more paints. And a better brush than he gave that 10 year old. Sitting on my desk what have you painted on your canvas and what do you want to paint before you run out of room or the paint dries life liberty and the pursuit of happiness liberty is another word we probably don't spend a ton of time thinking about it but it'd be good if we did what does liberty mean to you you may say, it's freedom. Fair enough. Freedom to do what? What does it mean? What does it mean to be free? And you may say, well, the freedom of speech, the freedom to worship, the freedom to assemble, freedom to express myself. That's all part of it, of course. But liberty has to be bigger than just my ability to say whatever I want to say. So as you reflect on your own Independence Day, what do you believe the word liberty? What are you free to do? What does it mean to you? So that's the affirmative way of looking at it. I'm free to do certain things. I like to look at what things are not. It helps me to define what something is by looking at what it is not. And if you ask me to pick an antonym for freedom, I would pick prison, physical confinement, physical restrictions, the inability to move as I want to move, the inability to kind of set the own, my own course for my life. I would say the antonym of freedom is prison. 
And as soon as I say that, I am, I am reminded of all of the people in the Old and the New Testament who made an impression on the world and on us even while they were in prison. Joseph, Daniel, Samson, Peter, Paul, Jeremiah, So you can be physically restricted and still be free? I wonder if the converse is true. Can you be physically free and still restricted? Of course you can. I served with a POW man named Sam Johnson, who passed away this year from the great state of Texas. John McCain was a POW. There are other POWs. So when you think about the antithesis of liberty or freedom, you may think about prison, you may think about being a prisoner of war. But yet we know that there can be a liberty, there can be a freedom, even when you are physically constricted. Prison, whoever tells you that prisons are not that bad or their country clubs has never been. Never been. I went to them when I was a prosecutor. They're the coldest, starkest places in the world. But prisons are more than razor wire, concrete, and steel. So my question for you today as we contemplate your Independence Day is what is the name of your prison? Pride is a prison. Guilt is a prison. Pain can be a prison. Substance abuse can be a prison. Racism is a prison. This belief that you are somehow better than someone based on immutable qualities. You may think that you are hurting the other person, but you are killing yourself. And it would be amazing if our foundational document had taken the virtue espoused in the Declaration of Independence, it would have been amazing if we had codified all men and women are equal in the eyes of their Creator. And as we seek a more perfect union, that's what we should aspire to. What was in the Declaration of Independence should be what we were living all along for these last 200 years, and maybe our country would not have some of the challenges that we have. But racism is a prison. Anger is a prison. What is the name of your prison? Mine was anger. I remember as a teenager, I went to see a pastoral counselor at our church. To be quite candid about it, I'm sure I was made to go see a pastoral counselor at our church. 
And I was telling Dr. Young, I remember vividly his first question to me, and it wasn't, how are you doing? How do you feel? You know, you have this, images of, this image of laying on a psychologist's office couch, and he or she's going to say, how do you feel? That's not what he asked. He didn't ask that. First question to me was, why are you so angry? I didn't know. I don't know. I don't know. I had a great childhood other than having to grow up with three sisters. I had a great childhood. I don't know. But it doesn't always make sense, does it? The prisons are not always the ones that you choose. The question is, what is the name of the prison you are in, and are you tired of serving the sentence? You've been pardoned. Somebody else has served the sentence. Are you ready to walk away? Are you ready to free yourself? And I know the good theology is for me to tell you that God freed me from that prison called anger. That's the right theology. That's what I should tell you. But the reality is, God gave the keys to that prison called anger to a five foot four inch brunette with the most beautiful blue eyes you have ever seen in your life and the most radiant smile you have ever seen in your life that I have lived with for the past 31 years. So maybe you need to ask him to help you escape whatever prison has been constructed for you or you have constructed for yourself, and perhaps he may send someone else with the keys. But you should identify what is the name of the prison that keeps you from, feel, from feeling and living this life of freedom. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And what I would ask you, I want you to be happy. I want you to laugh. I want you to be full of joy. I want you to be contented. But I would ask you respectfully to substitute a word for happiness as you kind of etch out your own Independence Day. I would ask you to substitute the word significance. Pursue a life of significance. And you may say, well, what does that mean? I mean finding something or someone bigger than you. Something bigger than you. Something worthy of you investing this gift of life and your own liberty in. Significance. I was stuck in an airport. Travel was all put to a screeching halt. I wasn't going back home. I was not speaking to anger. I wasn't all that happy about it. And I look out of the corner of my eye and I see two nuns. And they're staring up at the board. And when I mean staring, I mean they're like memorizing the board. And their flight's not going anywhere either. So I have this voice of my wife in my head, you should go help them. Well, honey, I'm just going to scare them. I mean, if I walk up to two nuns, I was just going to scare them. But I went. And one didn't speak English at all. The other spoke a little bit of English. Spanish was their native language. And so I, I see a colleague, Joey Kennedy from Massachusetts. And I remember he was in the Peace Corps in a Spanish-speaking country. And I bring Joey over there, and he communicates with them. They're trying to get to Argentina by way of Houston. 
and they're stuck in Washington. So I think to myself, oh, I mean, what am I going to do? I mean, I, should I rent a car and drive them to Charlotte? And then I got the optics of me in the car with two nuns. And I, I can just tell you, for 10 hours, my wife listens to contemporary Christian music. That's the New Testament. I listen to country music and hip-hop because that's the Old Testament. And you need both. But I wasn't sure these two nuns wanted to listen to the same. I mean, what are we going to talk about? But I stayed with them. And we finally made it to Charlotte, and then I finally got them home. And they got my email, and they invited me to their convent in Northern Virginia. So I went. And how am I going to go an entire day without doing anything wrong? But I went and visited the convent. And I walk in, and there's no television. So I said, what do y'all do for fun? They said, we pray, and we go to church. And I thought, well, I'm still mad at my dad for making me go on Sunday nights, and you got to go every single day? And then I said, you know, do you all ever watch movies? Oh, yes, 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 yes. We watched one the other night. You would love it, and they called the name of it. I've never heard of it before in my life. Think Hallmark Channel, but worse. That's what this movie was. With the Hallmark Channel, it's a perfect man and a perfect woman overcoming a small obstacle in life and living happily ever after. This was two perfect people and no obstacle in life. It's just boring. But they were so content. Wearing the same thing tomorrow that they wore today and the day before and totally reliant upon other people, but they had found something in someone bigger than themselves. And then I thought the other happy people I know in life, my wife. I have two co-workers that I would describe as just content. They're content. They have found their significance. They are actually living out Matthew 6.33, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Significance. And if you're wondering where that roadmap for significance is, how can I find a roadmap for it? I would invite you to something called the Beatitudes. The blessed are. You want a life of significance? Start with following the blesseds are. You've been given life. You either have liberty or you should now feel empowered to get out of whatever prison's been constructed for you or you have constructed yourself. And I would encourage you to pursue a life of significance so you can look back when the canvas is full and the paint is dry and you can know you had your own independence day. If the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. If you're looking for freedom, 
start with the person who uttered the Beatitudes, who served the prison sentence for you, who gave you life. And if you don't know him, or it's been a while since you last visited, I'm going to ask Dr. Young to come help either introduce or reintroduce you to the author of your own Independence Day. God bless you. Thank you.